It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is green and gold history. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is A's Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. It is now time for Green and Gold History here on A's Cast. And our historian Dave Feldman joins us for another list, top 10. And today we're doing managers. Feldy, how are you? I'm good, Tony. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Is uh just talking about getting ready for spring training. We're all going to be heading down soon, and uh, the excitement of the 2020 season, uh, it's it's big, and the season is right around the corner. Yeah, it's been a it's a heck of an offseason, right, with all the news that we've had between the cheating scandal, Mookie Betts trade, the Hall of Fame voting. I mean, baseball, there is no offseason anymore, which which I find fascinating, right? I love it. And now that we're getting back to spring training and games and seeing teams come together, it's, it's, it's just an awesome time of year. Oh, I, I can't thank baseball enough for all the spending, the trades, the chaos, the dysfunction. It's given me something to talk about every day. <laughs> which, which is good when you have a, a 24-hour uh, A's cast station, right? No doubt about it. Today we tackle top 10 managers before we get to your top 10, always fun, the honorable mentions. Yeah, so we're talking managers, and managers, the role of the manager has definitely changed over the last 52 years of A's baseball in Oakland. Um, you know, it used to be the manager was definitely the de facto face of the franchise, and he made all the decisions. He made the roster decisions. He definitely made the lineup decisions. And we've seen now around baseball, it's sort of changed where the front offices have a much bigger say in the lineup. And you look at what the A's have now with Bob Melvin, he's still more of the old-school manager, right? He's still a guy who controls the lineup card to a certain extent. And it's nice to see because other teams don't have that. Uh, so the, the role of the manager has changed. Um, but when we talk A's managers, especially in Oakland, guys who did not make the list, uh, for me, Steve Boros was one of the first computer managers. When he replaced Billy Martin – in 1983, they put a computer in his office. It was the first computer in an A's, in any baseball clubhouse. It was big news. Um, he didn't run the computer very well, however. Uh, and he was eventually replaced by another honorable mention, Jackie Moore, who was a good baseball man, did not have a lot of talent with the A's, not a great manager. A guy who would event, end up being a good manager later in his career was John McNamara, who was a manager of the 86 Red Sox. And another honorable mention who does not make the list, and that's our old buddy, Bob Guerin. I was wondering if you would go there. You know, I, uh, I couldn't do it. I, I saw too many of Bob Guerin's games uh, and saw his moves and saw the way that he managed the team 
and the way he, he interacted with the players and the relationships that he had. And for me, he just wasn't a good manager. It was just not a good fit. And I, I, can't bring, I can't bring myself to put him on the list of a top 10 list. He just, he just doesn't make the cut for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. All right, do you have any more? No, no, that's it. All right, number 10. So number 10 is Jack McKeon, Trader Jack. Now, Jack McKeon became the A's manager in 1977, hired by Charlie Finley. And he gets a, a not very talented team, a team that had already been gutted by free agency and trades, really the only leftover from the glory years was, was Fida Blue at this point. But he gets off to a pretty good start. The team's 26 and 27. And then Finley decides that's not good enough and replaces him with Bobby Winkles. Bobby Winkles, who was the head coach at Arizona State, who was a college coach of Sal Bando and Richie Jackson and Rick Monday. Finley brings him in, and he makes Jack McKeon Charlie Finley's assistant. Like, he would sit in the press box and watch the game and report to, to Charlie what was happening, a role that eventually that, that uh, MC Hammer would do. He was the one who would give the play-by-play over the phone. Uh, and there's a great story that when Jack McKeon goes up there to do the play-by-play, he's very dry and just says, you know, single to right. And Finley would get upset and go, no, no, you got to do it like Hammer. You got to give me some flash. You got to give me some dash. McKeon was having none of it. He was just—he had no—he was under contract, so he really couldn't do anything. But he had to give the play-by-play. So now in '78, Bobby Winkle's still the manager, but Jack McKeon returns to the field as a coach. And the '78 A's, and this team was even less talented than the '77 team, gets off to an unbelievable start under Bobby Winkle's. They're 24 and 15, tremendous. But Bobby Winkle's resigns. Because Finley is just too much of a pain in his rear. Always calling, always second-guessing, going crazy. So there it is. Jack McKeon gets to be manager again. And it finishes out with a terrible team. He goes 45-78 and 78 the rest of the way. And, of course, gets fired by Charlie Finley. But McKeon showed his, his worth as a manager later in his career uh, with the Padres and the Reds. And then at 72 years old, coming out of retirement to manage the 2003 Marlins to a World Series championship, and actually would come back to the Marlins one more time in 2011 at age 80 to manage the club. But Jack McKeon never really had a chance with the A's, but a tremendous manager in the future. He's number 10. Yeah, what a baseball career. I remember when I was a kid, he was he was running the San Diego Padres. And, uh, you know, I, and when he was when he was a front office guy, he earned that. He earned that nickname, Trader Jack, because he was not afraid to do a deal. He was an old school wheeler and dealer. Yeah, and you can still picture him now with a cigar in his mouth. He's still alive. Uh, I'm sure he's probably still smoking a cigar. Could probably still make a trade or two. He understood how to put ball clubs together and, and get the best out of those teams. And really, just an old school baseball general manager, not the type that we see nowadays. Right? This is not. A guy using sabermetrics and analytics. He was a guy going on feel and the eye test, and he was pretty successful doing it. Number nine. Number nine was the first manager in Oakland Athletics history, and that's Bob Kennedy, the father of future Giant and Padre catcher Terry Kennedy. Uh, and the A's moved to Oakland. The year before, their last year in Kansas City, the A's won 62 games. Basically the same squad comes to the Coliseum 
and they go 82-80. and 80. So a winning team. It was the first winning season the A's had had since 1952, since they were in Philadelphia. 16 years since they had a winning year. And so what happens to, to Bob Kennedy? The last day of the season, he gets called into Finley's office, and he's thinking he's getting a contract extension. Nope. With no explanation, Charlie Finley fires him. Never gave an explanation, never to the press, nowhere. Just fired him. Now, a great thing about Bob Kennedy, this was the great A's writer, Ron Bergman, who covered that team. He had a quote saying that Bob Kennedy was probably the least interviewed manager in the history of baseball. And the reason why, one of his coaches in 1968 was Joe DiMaggio. And all the media wanted to talk to was Joe. They never wanted to talk to Bob Kennedy. But here on uh, A's cast, we remember Bob Kennedy as the ninth best manager in Oakland A's history. One of the most bizarre pictures in Steve Vucinich's office is looking at Joe DiMaggio in an A's white uniform. It's just, it's just, you know, he's so iconic in the pinstripes. It's just odd to see him in the wedding gown white uniform of the A's. Yeah, he was the, the Oakland Athletics uniform is the only other major league uniform Joe DiMaggio wore besides the Yankees. Um, and Charlie Finley brought him in. You know, he was a Bay Area kid. Uh, you got a new team. You're trying to drum up some publicity. And originally that was part of the idea. He was going to be a vice president slash coach and as a coach he actually did a lot of good for the A's especially when it come, came to Joe Rudy he basically taught Joe Rudy how to be a, a gold glove outfielder and this is Joe DiMaggio there's also the great story that right before opening day in 1968 Joe DiMaggio is taking a tour of the Coliseum and he looks around he looks at home plate he looks at the second deck and he says you have to move home plate further towards center field and the, the landscape architects and everybody's like, what are you talking about? He goes, those people in the second deck can't see the plate. It was too close to the backstop. He could eyeball it and see it. And he took him up to the second deck and he was absolutely right. You couldn't see. And part of the reason for bringing the, the plate out actually caused more foul territory in the Coliseum. So a lot of the foul territory that you see is because of Joe DiMaggio's eyes. Number eight. Number eight is Chuck Tanner. And Chuck Tanner only had one season with the Athletics and might have been one of the craziest seasons in, in Oakland A's history. This is 1976. Right? The A's have won five straight AL West titles. 76 team has pretty much everybody except for Catfish Hunter, who's gone, and they had just traded Reggie Jackson to the Orioles. But otherwise, it's still the guys you know. And this is a good A's team. But now in the middle of June, Charlie Finley, who sees the writing on the world, writing on the wall with free agency, decides he's going to sell his stars. He's going to sell, sell Joe Rudy. He's going to sell Raleigh Fingers. He's going to sell Volley Fida Blue, right? Reggie, um, Fida for one and a half of the Yankees, Fingers and, and Rudy for a million each. He was going to use that money to build a farm system because he had no farm system at the time. And he was going to lose his players anyway. But Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner of baseball, freezes the trade. And then eventually nullifies the deal using the best interest of baseball clause. Finley calls Kuhn a village idiot, sues Bowie Kuhn for $10 million, and while this is happening, does not play Rudy Fingers and Blue. For two weeks, the A's played with a 22-man roster. 
And really, it was a 20-man roster because there were two guys on that team who were basically just pinch runners, and Larry Lintz and Matt Alexander. Lintz had won a bat the entire season. But this is, this is crazy. Eventually, the A's threatened to strike if they don't play these guys. So five minutes before a game against the Twins, Tanner's reading off the lineup in the dugout. Nobody dressed. Nobody took batting practice. Nobody put on a uniform. This is how serious they were about not playing. But he reads off the lineup, you know, Burke Campanaris, Billy North, Joe Rudy. And the minute he says Joe Rudy, the place just explodes. It was Sal Bando's likened it to winning a, a postseason series, how exciting they were, mass hysteria. But two weeks ago without these guys, they ended up the year at 87 and 74. They finished two and a half games behind the Royals. You have those three guys for those two weeks, it would be a different story. The A's could have won a six AL title. And that team was also different in the fact that all they did was steal bases. They set an AL record with 341 steals. Eight different players had 20 or more steals. Campy, Bill North, Don Baylor, Claudel Washington, Phil Gardner, the aforementioned Larry Lentz and Matt Alexander. And how about Sal Bando with a career-high 20 steals? Unreal what this team did, just running wild. They got caught quite a few times as well, but 341 steals is basically anybody who got on base was taken off and it almost worked. Uh, and then for Tanner, his career with the A's ended as he gets traded. Yes. The A's traded a manager, Charlie Finley traded a manager, traded Chuck Tanner to the pirates for catcher Manny Singian. At the time, it was only a second time in baseball history, a manager had ever been traded. Eventually a third time would happen when uh, Lou Pinella got traded. But Chuck Tanner, he checks in at number eight. Number seven. Number seven, Ken Maka. And Maka took over the A's in 2003 after Art Howe went to the Mets. You look at his resume, two AL West titles. The other two seasons, he had two second-place finishes. Uh, You know, the second-place finishes, 2004, went to the final weekend. 2005 went down to the final week. Um, But he had a strange tenure as well, right? He... Takes over for Art Howe, has a three-year deal. His contract runs out at the end of the 2005 season, and no deal. He's got no – it just runs out. They don't get a new deal. Six days after the season ended, he's still without a team. They negotiated with Ken Maka. Nothing comes from it. He's not, he's not resigned. So he's out of a job. And then all of a sudden, six days after that, they re-sign Ken Maka to a three-year deal. And the 2016 wins the AL West, gets past the division series. Finally, an A's team gets to the ALCS. They end up losing in the series. And Kemok is fired. That's it. He had two more years left on that second contract, and he gets fired. And a lot of that had to do with how the team reacted to Ken Maka. For whatever reason, the veterans on that A's team did not get along with him. And if you talk about like an employee review, uh, he was getting all that. And Billy and the A's management at the time, again, I'm not sure how much they wanted to bring him back for the 2006 season to begin with, but this gave them an out, right, with the team being disgruntled. Even after finally getting to the ALCS, disgruntled left to, to fire him with two years left on his contract. But, you know, Ken Maka, he managed successful A's teams. Now, his deal was closing out, right? Didn't close out in 2003. 
against the Red Sox. Probably the, the move that we most remember for is the ninth inning with runners on second and third and one out. Jermaine Dye due up, but pinch hitting Adam Melhus for Jermaine Dye in a key situation down by a run in game five, putting up Adam Melhus. And I remember when it happened, and I can see what Melhus was thinking, or what uh, Maka was thinking, because near the end of the year, Melhus came up with a big walk off hit against Francisco Cordero of the Rangers. And I think that was in Maka's mind that this, he's going to do it again. And the day before, or two days before in game four, Mel Hughes had three hits in that game. So I thought he, he was putting up a hot clutch hitter. But I, I think to me, uh, you, you don't pitch hit for Jermaine Dye. Jermaine Dye, who had a tough season in 2003, but he had a big homer in 2004. He already had a base hit in, uh, sorry, in game four. Already had a base hit in game five. This was going to be the, the at-bat to save his season. And he never got it. And I think for Maka, that always stayed with him as, as, a, as an A's manager. And Ken Korak does the best impersonation of Ken Maka. It is dead on. It's hilarious. If you ever get a chance to get him to do it, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. All right, number six. Number six is Alvin Dark. And Alvin Dark took over the A's in 1974. He managed the A's for two years. Now, this was his second stint managing the A's franchise. He actually managed the Kansas City A's when they were in Kansas City in 66 and 67, when we talked about not very successfully. But in 74, he takes over a tremendous, he takes over a world championship team. And yeah, maybe he's a little high on this list at number six for, for what he inherited, that he should have won a world series and he should have won the division the next year, uh, but he still had to do it. Right. And this was a, you know, Alvin dark was a great player. You look back at his numbers as a shortstop, uh, in a time when shortstops were all field, no hit, he was a guy who was putting up 20 homers for the New York Giants. It was just not seen at the time. He also managed the, New York, uh, the San Francisco Giants to the 62 World Series. So he had some experience. He was a good baseball man. But things did change a little bit with him personally when he changed. He converted to Christianity. And to his own, in his own book that he wrote, he said it changed him as a manager and as a baseball person. He kind of changed the way he related to players uh, and, and the way players related to him. And there were some tough times with the A's, um, but he still have managed to win a World Series. And, you know, that 74 A's team might be the best of the bunch of that, of that threesome, right? They were, they were a whole team there in 74, um, a team that basically pitched nine pitchers the entire season. Uh, nine pitchers combined for all but 10 and a third innings pitched that year. It's just incredible to think about. We're pitching staffs now are a minimum 13. You're talking nine did it all, and only five pitchers pitched in the postseason. Uh, Alvin Dark checks in at number six. And now we get to the top five, and there's some big-time names here. Number five. Number five is Art Howe. And Art Howe had a tough act to follow, right? He took over for the A's in 1996 following Tony La Russa. And Art Howe did a tremendous job, right? He basically rebuilt this team. And you look at his wins by year. Think about this. 1997, 65 wins. Next year, it goes up to 74. The year after that, 87. The year after that, 2000, 91. 2001, 102. 2002, 103. Every year, his team won more games. That's phenomenal 
right? He just he, he had to deal with a little bit of the new school. He was an old school baseball guy. You know, he played with the Astros. He managed in the Astros system, managed the Astros themselves. But he had to deal with Billy Bean now. Billy Bean's the A's general manager, takes over, and he's bringing his own spin to it. So Art had to deal with that. And Art dealt with it really well. Not like you see in the movie Moneyball. I think of anything, and I think everyone has said this, the portrayal of Art Howe gets, it was, she got short-shifted there. Because Philip Seymour Hoffman did a great job with that character, but that wasn't Art Howe. Oh, God. They, he wasn't this surly guy. He got shafted in that movie. He did. And it, it's a shame, and I think it did tarnish him and the way people remember him. He was nothing like that. Art was a tremendous person. What a good man. Um, and, he, yeah, he had to deal with Billy, but he dealt with it in his way, and he made it work. And I always think back to 2000. Right? This is a year uh, the A's are in contention. And they, no one thought they would be, but Giambi's having an MVP year. Hudson, Mulder, Zito are now all together. Things are great. And they go 18-4 and four down the stretch. 18-4. and four. Talk about closing out a year. Something that Ken Mock had trouble doing, closing out seasons. Art Howell's team did not. And, and I always think about, they go to Baltimore. They had a road trip near the end of the year. They had a, uh, a game in Tampa gets postponed because of a hurricane. They don't play a Sunday game. They go to Baltimore. They play a Monday night game. Then on Tuesday, they have a day-night doubleheader. Now, the first pitch of the day-night doubleheader, the first game is supposed to start at 1. That's delayed two hours and 43 minutes, the longest in Oriole Park history. And then, top of the eighth, the A's are leading 7-4. to four. They suffer through another two-hour and 21-minute rain delay. So five, min- five hours of rain delay. The A's eventually win the game. The game at itself, without the rain delay, that took four hours, plus the five hours. The game's not over to 10 o'clock. They postponed the second game. So now they're going to have to come back the next day, play another day-night doubleheader, and the A's have to get out of town to get to Seattle to start a huge four-game series. Any team would have crumbled under this situation. But Art House team did not. They split the doubleheader. They get to Seattle. They take three out of four and then just run with it at the end of the year, eventually winning that last game of the year against the Rangers to clinch the division, making sure they don't have to go to back to Tampa Bay to make up for that game that got hurricaned out. I, to me, that was Art Howe. That was the way that he controlled his clubhouse and had his team ready to play. Uh, to me, I'll always remember him for that. Number four. Number four is the manager that I think, if you told me you had one guy to manage a team, to win one game, and that's Billy Martin. Billy Martin knew how to win like nobody else, and he would use any means necessary. And we talk about the, the cheating scandals of today with technology. I always I chuckle to think what Billy Martin would do if he had the technology that is available now because he used anything in his powers to get an advantage because he was all about winning. And Billy wasn't about – you know, a season. He was about every game and winning every game. You know, he took over an A's team that won 54 games in 1979 under the great Jim Marshall, who was maybe the worst manager in Oakland A's history. 54 wins. He takes a 1980 team, basically the same team, and wins 83 games. Right? And he does it because he knew he, he, the strength of the team was starting pitching and the outfield. So he's got Norris, Keogh, Lankford, McCaddy, Kingman, 
They all threw over 200 innings. They threw 94 complete games. 58% of the games that season were completed. 94, right? They had, they had a closer, Bob Lacey. He had six saves. In 81, same thing, relying on that, the outfield of Ricky, Dwayne Murphy, Tony Armas, and then the starting pitching. You know, strike-shortened season, 109 games. They still completed 60 of them, 55%. That year, their closer, Dave Beard, had three saves. I This was Billy Martin. He knew what he had, and he just exploited it. He would run the triple steal, the, you know, the original Billy ball uh, with squeeze plays, trick plays, uh, anything to take an advantage, but really was just relying on those starters and Ricky Murph and Tony Armas. In 82, his last year with the A's, he started to wear it as welcome, which happened pretty much everywhere where Billy went. You know, things off the field, drinking, um, not getting along with the front office at this point. It's a bad team. They only win 68 games. Uh, Ricky steals 130 bases because Billy loved Ricky, and Ricky loved Billy. And, and, and Billy would let Ricky do whatever he wanted. And it was okay for 130 steals. Because that was what, you know, that's what people were paying to see, to see Ricky. Uh, just, I just always think when Billy Martin, you wanted a game to win, he was going to figure out a way to win that game. We've got three left with Bob Melvin out there, Dick Williams, Tony Larusa. number three. Well, number three is Bob Melvin. And Bob Melvin's been the A's manager for a long now, time now with 731 wins. Two AL West titles, AL West titles, three wild cards. Uh, you know, he comes in in a team that was in disarray in 2011, still gets them to 74 wins, and jumps that up to 94 wins in 2012. And I think 2012 might have been his greatest job. Uh, a team that was 26 and 35 in June, they just got swept by the Diamondbacks. And it's like, this season's it's teetering. This could be it. And they're going to Colorado. And Bartolo, Bartolo Colon, starting that first game in Colorado, gives up four runs in the first inning and just looks like a disaster. But Bob Melvin kept Colon in there and let him pitch knowing it's Colorado. We're going to get a chance to score. And the A's come back and win that game. The next night, Tommy Malone struggles in the first inning. Melvin keeps him in there. Gets through five innings. A's bats come alive. They win the game. They end up winning the next day. Jared Parker throws seven shutout at innings at Coors Field. And now they're on a roll. And then the 2012 team with a tremendous comeback at the end of the year, overcoming a five-game deficit with nine to go to win the AL West. Tremendous. 2013 winning the West. 2014, he has a tremendous club that gets gutted by a front office trade, still gets to the wild card. Uh, and then down years. But what happens? 2018, he takes a team that no one thinks is going to do anything and wins 97 games. Backs that up with 97 more wins in 2019. Yes, the postseason has been an issue, obviously. But what he's done in the regular season and what he's done with what he's had to work with and getting the best out of those players, uh, Bob Melvin, he checks in at number three. And I can tell you he's one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet in this game. I mean, he is salt of the earth and can't say enough about him. Uh, what he does on the field, off the field, his players love him. Front office loves him. Media loves him. He's just 
all around, we've been very, very lucky to have someone like Bob Melvin uh, lead this franchise. Number two. Number two is Dick Williams, the Hall of Famer. And Dick Williams took over the A's in 1971. Uh, again, the 1970 team under John McNamara did very well, but Dick Williams was the difference maker because you had all the talent. You had the players in place, and now you needed someone just to whip them into shape and all going in the right direction. And Dick Williams was that guy. He was a taskmaster, but he was a type that the A's needed at that time. And he laid down the law, and that team won, right? 101 wins in 1971, an AOS title. The, the Vita Blue season. Uh, they come back, they win the ALS with 93 wins, they win the World Series, 94 wins in 73, win the World Series. Uh, it was all about fundamentals, playing the game right. Uh, you know, he had a little Billy Martin in him too. I think we've all seen the video clip from the 72 World Series. Johnny Bench up at bat, he goes to the mound to talk to Raleigh Fingers, and he pantomimes that he, they're going to intentionally walk, they're going to intentionally walk Johnny Bench. He tells Gene Tennis to go back out there and stick his hand out. That's what Gino does, but it was all a ruse. As soon as he did it, he jumped back behind the plate. Raleigh throws a nasty slider, strikes out Johnny Bench, embarrasses Johnny Bench, really. But Dick Williams had this up his sleeve because, again, he had a little gamesmanship in him. Uh, Fortunately, he just couldn't take Charlie Finley anymore. And this seems to be a running theme now when we talk about managers with the A's in the Charlie Finley era. I couldn't take it. This is a World Series winning team. He's going to win back-to-back World Series. Game seven, he announces to the team, this is it, his last game. He resigns after the game. You just won the World Series. How bad must it have been to manage under Charlie Finley if you were going to resign after winning your second World Series, knowing everybody's coming back the next year? I just, it's sad to say what, that, what Dick Williams would have done with that A's team if he was able to stick around. Uh, as it was, he still had a Hall of Fame career, uh, and the A's were lucky to have him when they did because he, he was the exact right hire when Finley brought him in, and Finley does deserve credit for that. He's number two on the A's all-time manager list. From one Hall of Famer to another, number one top manager for the Oakland Athletics. Four AL West titles, three AL championships, a World Series win, a 542 winning percentage, Tony La Russa. He's number one. Uh, again, he came in in a, in a situation where this, this was a bad A's team in 86 when he gets hired midway through the season. Uh, he got fired from the White Sox, but the A's brain trust with Sandy Alderson and Roy Eisenhart, um, they knew this was the guy. It wasn't working with, with, with Jackie Moore, who had been fired, replaced by Jeff Newman on an interim basis. Um, they needed something, and they knew they had some things in the pipeline, right? They had a good draft, and they had Jose Canseco, and they had this kid, Mark McGuire, who was coming. Uh, Ray and Tony. And what's Tony's first thing he does as A's manager? July 7th, 1986. It's a Monday night game on Monday night baseball, something that ABC used to do back in the day. Monday night baseball at Fenway Park. The Red Sox are pitching Roger Clemens. And in his first act as A's manager, he makes Dave Stewart his starting pitcher that night. Brilliant. Just uh, foreshadowing what's going to come in the, in the career of Dave Stewart, especially against Roger Clemens. That night, Stu deals. The A's get back-to-back homers by Seiko and Dave Kingman, and the A's are off and running. Actually, the 86 team, once t- Tony took over, 
finished above 500 in his time. And this, again, was not a great team. But in 87, he's starting to, to lay the seeds, right? Dennis Eckersley comes over in a trade, and they discover that, that Eck is going to work out as a bullpenner. And one of Tony's you know, real contribution to the game of baseball was bullpen roles, you know, a one-inning closer. It was, it was unheard of at the time. You used to bring in your best pitcher whenever he needed to get out of a jam, and he would finish the game. Well, the A's looked at it a different way, especially with Gene Nelson and Rick Honeycutt leading the way to Dennis Eckersley. They could bridge that gap and have Eck just shut the door and just have one inning. Now, it didn't start out that way. All right, Eck pitched a lot of two-inning saves in 88, but it eventually became that, and it became the norm for all of baseball. Um, in 92, a year that kind of gets lost because the A's lost to the, the Blue Jays and the ALCS, this team was injury-riddled the entire season. Canseco was hurt. Ricky was hurt. Starters were hurt. They still get 96 wins and win the division with, with contributions from Randy Reddy and Willie Wilson and Jerry Brown. I, I always thought that was his best job managing. And when we talk about how Billy Martin used to manage for the game, every game was its own story. Tony managed for 162 games. His decisions in April were made with, with September and October in mind. And it was frustrating at times because he would give up a game in May and not use somebody trying to save him for later. And it, but it paid off, right? Unbelievably, it paid off. Tony could see that way. Um, you know, he was also ahead of his time when it comes to the opener. Because in 1993, an A's team that was not good, it was really a terrible A's team, uh, he decided to do something called flotation rotation, which was basically piggybacking taking a bullpen pitcher and pairing him with a starting pitcher, uh, starting the bullpen guy, and then bringing in the starter. And his idea was I'd have Todd Van Poppel Pop start, throw three innings, and I'm going to bring in Ron Darling. I'm going to have Mike Moeller start. I'm going to bring in Bobby Witt. I'm going to have Kelly Down start. I'm going to bring in Bob Welch. Um, he thought he would get his better pitchers to pitch in more games this way. Uh, he only was able to do it one time or two times to the order. Six games did not go well, and they abandoned it because, you know, baseball wasn't ready for that yet. And guys like Ron Darling and Bob Welch didn't like not starting. Changing their routine was tough on them. But he was before his time. Um, you know, he's always said if they had a chance to actually try that over a longer period of time, he thinks it would have been successful. And we've seen minor league clubs do this now using their starters to piggyback. But LaRusso was an innovator in that way. I remember when he was called the genius. But he just had a way of winning baseball games, and he was he was the perfect hire for that A's team to bring him those championships in the AL in the World Series title. Run them down. Top ten Oakland A's managers. Number ten, Trader Jack, Jack McKeon. Number nine, the A's first manager in Oakland, Bob Kennedy. Number eight, Chuck Tanner. Number seven, Ken Maka. Number six. Alvin Dark. Number five, Art Howe. Number four, Billy Martin. Number three, Bob Melvin. Number two, Dick Williams. And the number one Oakland A's manager of all time, Tony LaRusa. Green and gold history right here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 